Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, limitless-estates.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. Also, if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, let's get into our show. Today, we have Will Harvey here with us. Will, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Will. Will personally owns over $1.5 million in real estate in the Northern Virginia area and is a partner in several apartment syndications across the U.S., both actively and passively. In early 2019, he founded CEO Capital Partners with four other partners, and their focus is to help business owners and executives create passive income through multifamily real estate. Will's background is in lending, and he recently left his high-paying role in that space to focus full-time on growing his company and also his podcast, Wealth Junkies. So, Will, all great stuff. I know you have a ton to cover, so let's get started. And could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to wind back the clocks, I was always entrepreneurial growing up. My dad has been in business a long time and he just, he always taught me, you know, if you want to buy something, whether it be a toy or whatever, figure out a way to make money and buy it. So I always grew up having different side hustles. I sold golf balls when I was real young. As I got older, I started a lawn care business and then I got into college or I got into high school and I discovered drugs <laughs> and I got really uh, wrapped up into all the bad stuff, went down the wrong path, went to the University of South Carolina and it just got worse and worse. And yeah, just got, uh, yeah, I have a ton of stories on that subject, but just got real, real bad, was blacking out a lot. I actually got expelled and I got let back into school and was failing drug tests and wasn't good until I eventually. I had one real bad night where I blacked out. I was trying to drive my car and a buddy punched me in the face a couple of times because I wouldn't take no for an answer. I was completely blacked out. Didn't remember it the next day. And I wake up, my face is all messed up and swollen. And it was just a very, very low point. Did a lot of bad stuff that night. And I ended up by the grace of God. So I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And that is totally what allowed me to get sober. So I, there was a family friend in, I was living with my parents and he was in the driveway and he saw me kind of made a joke. He saw my black eye and everything. And he was like, what happened last night? I was like, yeah, I don't really remember. <laughs> so he then reached out to me a few days later and he was like, Hey, I was thinking about, you know, when I saw you and I think it might be bigger than just the isolated blackout. So I decided to sit down with him and just hear what he had to say. And he basically, so he was a a time, he was 18 years sober. Now he's like 25, 26 years sober. And he starts telling me his story 
and it was identical to mine. So that was like my awakening. I was like, I, I am alcoholic. I have a problem with alcohol. And I went home and admitted it to my parents and which I pulled out of school and then got sober. And that's kind of where everything started. I was on the right track after that. About a year later, walked on and played football at a school in Ohio. Once I got hurt and I came home from there, and that's when I got into the mortgage business. And that's kind of what started my uh, all things real estate. So, you know, I can talk on a little bit of that or I can keep going. What do you want me to do? Yeah, I know. I'll ask some questions, but I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think, you know, substance abuse and stuff like that is, is a serious thing. And congratulations for getting through that. Today, no, we're going to talk it. about Airbnb, but I do want to talk a little bit about the mindset shift and, and what you had to go through to get to, you know, where you were that day when your friend pulled you aside to where you are now you know, what was it about his story and your story that were so similar that made you decide, hey, you know what, this is a big problem. I want to shift away from this. Yeah, he was just more telling me about just how he, it wasn't necessarily the crazy stories or anything like that. Because anybody with substance abuse in their past, they're going to have wild stories, of course. But he's telling me about just his mindset during all this and how, you know, once he starts drinking once he drinks one beer he can't stop so he can't stop at just one and i was totally that same way where i could go weeks at a time without drinking but once i picked one up and started you know i wouldn't stop until i blacked out or passed out you know so that was really what he was saying to me and it was like i immediately identified with that made perfect sense i've always had an addictive personality so it definitely resonated with me, everything he was saying. So, and I started going to AA meetings after that. It's a powerful program. So I'm in debt to them big time. So, so if you don't mind talking about it, what was that process like to, you know, sober up and to eliminate that from your life? It was definitely humbling because I was 19 when I, when I stopped drinking and most 19 year olds are out having fun and partying and I'm living with my parents. <laughs> you know, I pulled out of school. I was living on my own and was living the life, having a lot of fun. And I came home and was living with my parents right down the hall from them. So it was very sobering and, and uh, humbling. So yeah, that was the mindset. But in hindsight, it was the greatest thing I ever did. And so how long have you been sober now? Uh, that was January 1st, 2013. So a little over seven years. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations, man. That's yeah, awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. So for anyone dealing with this type of challenge, I don't think that everyone's going to have, you know, a best friend or a friend come up to them and, and kind of help you like you did. And, and, you know, thank goodness they did. But like, what advice would you give to them to kind of get themselves out of that hole? Yeah. Well, first off, they can reach out to me anytime. I'll give you, you know, in the show notes, I'm sure you'll share my contact info. I'll give you my email and everything, but there's always people willing to listen and to talk to about that, that kind of stuff. I mean, what I would say is find a local Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I mean, if it's alcohol, if it's narcotics, there's obviously those meetings as well. Those meetings are huge because you go there and you really form a close bond with a few guys and, and everybody's goal there is simply to get sober and stay sober. That's what I would recommend. Cool. What type of mindset shift did you have to go through from, you know, from your, what you call your rock bottom to now owning multi-millions of dollars in real estate? That's a really good question. I would say that it's more thinking long-term. When I was in that mindset of doing drugs, I was literally just living for the day. And 
That's all I wanted to do was get high, was drink, whatever it was. That's all I was focused on. Whereas now it's way different and I have that long-term mindset. Real estate is not something that that comes on and happens overnight. I mean, flipping a house is probably the quickest thing that you can do and make money in real estate. And even that takes, you know, four to six months on the minimum side of things. So I would say that just having that, playing the long game is really the mindset shift that I had and focusing on the future and not the present. Great. So typically we don't talk about this kind of stuff on the podcast, but I do think it's an inspiring story. It's a great story. And I think people need to hear this type of stuff because, you know, no matter what situation you're in, you can always get out of it. There's always other options. And, you know, you can go from that space to now owning multi-millions in real estate. It's an amazing story. So thanks for sharing. Let's hop into uh, Airbnb now, which I know you have some expertise in. So how did it all start with you with Airbnb? Yes, it started the first house I bought it in 2016 and I house hacked it before I knew that was even a thing. I had my brother, it was a three bedroom townhouse and I bought it. My dad co-signed on the loan. I wasn't making much money at the time. And I had my brother live in one room. He was a tenant. And then I had another guy, family friend live in another room. And then I lived in the third one and them two paying the rent basically covered the mortgage. So that was kind of my aha light bulb moment in real estate. And fast forward, one of the guys living with me, not my brother, but the other guy, he decides that he wants to follow this girlfriend. I guess she moved to Florida and he followed her there. And I believe they're now engaged. And he was talking to me. He's like, Hey man, like I I really want to go there. Is it possible for me to get out of the lease. And I talked to him and it was no big deal. He's a really cool guy, always paid on time. So I let him break the lease early. And that was around the time I started making more money in the mortgage business. So checks started coming in. I was doing well. And that room was now vacant after he left. And I was like, ah, I'm making more money now. I don't need to rent it out. I can just let it stay vacant. And I like the peace and quiet anyway. So, but then after that, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the second I was done with that book, I was like, I am an idiot for leaving that room (laughs) vacant. So I immediately went out, I went to Walmart and I went to Amazon and I bought a bed, TV, all kinds of stuff, furnished it real nice, but cheap. And then I threw it up on Airbnb. I was like, you know what? Let's just see what happens. I just wanted to try it out. And it was amazing. That thing stayed booked. 24 seven. And I told you guys before we started recording, I'm in the DC area, but I mean, I, I just say that cause nobody knows where Haymarket, Virginia is. It's a suburb about 45 minutes to an hour outside of DC. And you would never think that it would be booked as much as it was, but it was just, it was booked 24 seven. So it was crazy. And that was, that was the start. How much work do you have to put into that? I mean, booking it, I don't know if you book these for, you know, minimum stay or anything like that. I'd love to hear that if they're maybe 30 day minimum stays, but how much work goes into managing just one room for a rental? Yeah. So starting out, it was a lot more hands-on. I was cleaning it myself and I was changing the sheets and doing all that. But as I moved along, I created systems and got to the point where, like you said, the, the whole minimum stay, I put a minimum stay on there. So it wasn't such a pain in the butt turning the room over a bunch of times. But 
I mean, it just depends on how many turnovers you have. But I mean, when I first started, there was this couple that stayed there shortly after I put it up. And this is before I had minimums or anything, but they stayed for like two months and I didn't meet them. I didn't see them. It was crazy. I didn't do anything for that entire two months. So to answer your question, it kind of depends on the model that you want to have and to operate. If you want to have there be a lot of turnovers and maybe you're in an area where you can charge a high cleaning fee or something like that and you can make more money by doing short-term stays and you have a system for, for getting it clean, then that's one thing. But me, once I got further along and especially I now have, I have two Airbnbs. One is at the house I live at and one is a house that's about 15 minutes from where I live. And the one that's 15 minutes, I'm not there. So if something happens, you know, I can't jump on it. So I have a 10 day minimum stay on that one just to prevent having to, you know, put out fires all the time and answer questions and do all that. So do you suggest people Airbnb the house that they live in or do you have a section kind of cordoned off so you don't really see the people coming in or is this kind of like a co-sharing situation where, you know, they're using your kitchen and you could be in there in the same time? No, so I don't have it co-sharing. That would be so weird in my opinion. Right. I have it where it's a totally separate. The three rental properties I have are all three bedroom, three story townhouses. So they're all the same thing. The first house, the one where I used to do Airbnb, the, the one I was just describing, that house is the only one where I don't have Airbnb now. It's just a, uh, a 12 month tenant. But the other two are basically the same type of house where you can walk around back. There's a little fenced in backyard it's a townhouse. People come in through that gate and they come right up to the door and the bedroom is right there in the back. So it's a private entrance. The guests like that better. Everybody I talk to says they don't want to meet the hosts or, or see them. They just want their privacy. So that works better for them. It works better for me. And that's how I do it. So to answer your question, yes, it is a completely separate area of the house. And yes, I absolutely recommend anybody that has a situation like that where they can, maybe it's a basement or something where they can completely separate it from them. Absolutely recommend them to at least look into Airbnb. What about, so what's the difference in on a monthly basis, what you're making in rent off your Airbnb and then versus the 12 month tenant that you have? Yeah, sure. So if I were to, it's not really apples to apples because the 12 month tenant, he's renting the entire house. So it's tough to do that comparison, but I have had renters that rent a single room and the difference is about, I've done the math, it's about 350 bucks a month. So it's per Airbnb. Like if I were to rent out the Airbnbs I have as just a 12 month lease, the Airbnb they pull in, each one that I have pulls in about $1,000 a month. In 2019, they collectively made, I think, $24,500. So $24,500. So they were each pulling in a little over $1,000 a month on average. And if I were to rent out those rooms just on a 12-month lease, it'd be anywhere from, it'd be right around $700 that I could get for those rooms. Okay. And so does that 24,000, does that include all the fees that Airbnb charges or is that gross? No, that's after. Yeah. Okay. There's really not a lot of fees that they, it's like a 3% fee. I don't even know if it's that much. It's not much at all. I mean, I look at what the bookings are and the fee is tiny relative to what the host is getting. 
Okay. And so what do you do on kind of a weekly basis to set up your bookings versus the systems that you may now have in place that maybe someone that's getting started should start to implement as well? You're asking like, what did I do before I had the systems? And what are the systems now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So what I do is I just monitor, like I have one right now. It was a guy had to move out abruptly. He had to go to, um, he got transferred somewhere. He was here for work and had to leave. And so he's gone. So I had a vacancy come up. He still paid through, I think today or tomorrow, but for the past five days, it's been vacant. I've been trying to get it booked and the price that I had set a while back when he booked, it was no longer getting, I had to drop it. So staying in tune with where the market is and what you're charging per night, that's important. And I now have a VA, a virtual assistant that I got from Upwork and she's awesome. And she communicates with all the guests. Like when they, I have a system in place for when they book, she sends them a message says, Hey, thank you so much for booking. Here's some information. And they're frequently asked questions that we get. So we kind of streamline that and beat them to the punch and answer the questions before they ask them. So she'll send that. She'll say, Hey, the booking or the check-in instructions are within the app. It's all automated, blah, blah, blah. And then I have her every, um, if it's a guest that's a long-term every Thursday, she checks in and just says, Hey, just check it in. Do you need anything? blah, blah, blah. And then she'll communicate with me if they need soap or whatever. And that's how we do it. And this is something I actually discovered recently. It's an app where it integrates with Airbnb. It's called Turnover BNB. It's really, really cool. So it's kind of the Uber for cleaners to go on and find Airbnb properties to clean. So it's connected with my calendar and it shows when someone is leaving and the cleaner will come on and basically bid for that cleaning. So it's really cool. It's amazing. amazing. I know. It's like, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. such a simple idea and somebody is making a lot of money because of it. So it's really cool. And I, so I use that and I have the VA that manages my Airbnb. She coordinates with those cleaners and gets them all the information they need and kind of makes sure that they come when they're supposed to and all that. Okay. I was going to ask you, you know, do you think that Airbnb is really a geographical type of investment, but you said you live an hour outside of DC in the suburbs and you're still leasing up, but have there been any challenges with getting leased up during a certain season or anything like that? Do you believe that Airbnb really should be done in certain cities and markets? No, I think it can be done anywhere. I mean, the market sets the price as you know, and what you guys do, the market always sets the price. So if you're in DC or I don't know the laws here, so don't do something that you're not supposed to, but if you're in like a highly populated city, of course, there's going to be more demand for your product. But I have had no issue with getting bookings. But to answer your question for the, in terms of the whole season thing, there definitely are. It seems like spring and summer is kind of the busy time for Airbnb for whatever reason that is. I don't know if it's just because it's nicer out, people are traveling and stuff, but I find that in the winter months at a macro level, it tends to slow down a, a bit. Okay. And do you see Airbnb real estate investing still being a profitable niche in the next you know, five or 10 years? I think so. A lot of people are making deals work because of Airbnb. So as laws change and as 
as stuff balances out, you know, anytime there's a new thing, the early adopters are going to make a lot of money on it until the market kind of balances out and things shift a bit. But I believe there will always be, if you're doing the setup that I'm doing where you're kind of house hacking and you live in one part and then do Airbnb in the other part, I think that there's always going to be a need for that. And there's always going to be a way to make money by doing that. Now, I think if you're buying a house and basing the, how much you'll pay based on what you can get for Airbnb, that's kind of a risky thing because, you know, what if it goes south? And then you're definitely not going to make the deal work because a 12-month tenant is going to pay way less than what you would have got for Airbnb. Yeah, well, I have an example of someone I met at a meetup who was doing it for about 15 houses here in Anaheim and Anaheim, the city shut down Airbnb. And so he was making hand over fist until that day. And now he can't even cover his mortgage. So you definitely have to be careful in the cities that you invest in. You want to make sure you're in a pro business, you know, state or city that supports Airbnb because, you know, in Southern California, for example, they're not too fond of it and things can shift on a dime. To tag on to that, you know, if the city where I live shuts it down, then I'll just put tenants in, make a little bit less money. It's not as huge of a risk. You know what I mean? So, whereas if I had the entire house, like that guy, if I had 15 houses, I'd feel that a little bit more. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so, if you were giving advice to someone just starting out in Airbnb, what would be the top three kind of things to get started? If it's somebody just brand new getting started, there's a guy by the name, I know his company is B&B Formula. I can't think of his name, but we had him on our podcast and it was awesome talking to him. And it's cool what he does. He, He essentially gets people to negotiate, they get a lease on a property and then they talk to the landlord and they tell them, that this is what they're going to be doing. They're going to be doing Airbnb here, blah, blah, blah. And then they make an arbitrage above and beyond what they're paying the owner of the property. So that's something to do if you're brand new getting started. But if you own a house and you think you might have a way to kind of separate everything and you know have a basement or something like that, I would say to... Let me think. I just kind of just got on and learned from trial and error. I mean, if you throw it up there, you're going to get bookings. You're going to figure out what price makes the most sense. Go on as a guest and look in your area. Basically, look for comps. Look for something similar in your area that people are already doing. And then that's kind of how you base your price on that and just see if it's something that is going to be profitable. That's perfect. That's, yeah, I, I didn't even do that. I just threw it up there. <laughs> All right. Just a ready fire aim. Or yeah, ready fire exactly. aim, right? Cool. Uh, right. The person that you were mentioning was uh, Brian Page, I believe. Brian Page. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Well, Lita's going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money, but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpatton.com or assetprotection.law. 
Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpatten.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, well, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? I would say Upwork. Upwork has been incredible. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I had a property under LOI. It was a 14-unit property that I was trying to buy on my own. This is when I first got into apartment investing and the owner of it was trying to, he wanted me to basically take over the LLC that owned the property. So it wasn't going to be an actual transfer of ownership. I was just going to take over that LLC. And I was brand new and I was just like, yeah, okay, I think we can make that work. And long story short, we had to, I drafted up, a, I had an attorney draft up a contract. And then once he wanted to do that, I had to draft up another one. And then I got the bill from the attorney and it was like nine grand and the deal ended up dying. So that was a big lesson one about billable hours and how they work with with attorneys. (laughs) And also, you know, I should have been firmer and just said, no, I'm not doing that. But I was so deal, I deal goggles on and just wanted to do a deal so bad. That was my takeaway is just don't have deal goggles. (laughs) Yeah. Lesson learned. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? let go of things. So I think that's something that I need to do. So to really scale, I think I was listening to someone, he said, if you can find someone that can do whatever you're doing, 80% or better, let go of it, you know, and that's how you scale. Yeah, that's what I would say. And finally, where can people find out more about you? They can email me, will at wealthjunkies.com. They can listen to our podcast, Wealth Junkies. And we have a website as well, wealthjunkies.com. Perfect. Well, what an inspiring story, Will. And thank you for sharing your journey with us today. So we appreciate you being on our show. Absolutely. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to limitless-estates.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.